Hi everyone, and welcome to Mind Body Green's Beauty Podcast, Clean Beauty School. I'm your host, Mind Body Green Beauty Director Alexander Engler. So today, I want to talk about something that I cannot get enough of: fragrance. I find it such a fascinating area of discussion because you can dive into so many different aspects of it. To start, fragrance is personal. You associate smell with things, places time periods, loved ones. So, I mean, imagine getting a whiff of your mother's perfume. It can instantly send you back to childhood. Or fragrance is personal in another way. Think about the concept of a signature scent. Finding something that feels authentic to you, uniquely your own, that's so special. But fragrance is also global. Ingredients and notes are sourced from and inspired by far-flung corners of the earth. And while this can be exciting, it also comes with serious concerns, mainly how we plant, grow, and harvest the natural ingredients that make it into our perfume bottles. There's often sustainability concerns there. Of course, fragrance is cultural. Some notes and scents carry heavy weight and meaning for groups of people. Fragrance has long been used as a vital part of traditions from blessing ceremonies to cleansing rituals. But fragrance is also deeply scientific. From how notes are sourced to how they interact with our brain chemistry, to how the final product is made. Crafting modern day fragrance is chemistry. But it's more than that, it's artistic. Perfumists are like artists using notes as their medium of choice. Yes, fragrance is a lot of things. And to help me explain and understand its complexity, I turned to a woman who has spent years in the industry helping craft some of the most famous fragrances we know today. Mindy Yang, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Mindy, why don't we start off with you just telling me your story? You know, you are so immersed in the world of fragrance, and I just want to know how you got your start and what led you to fall in love with fragrance. So I am a lifelong foodie and kind of a curious child. And, you know, even just growing up as a little girl, I was always curious about why people do what they do. I love to learn things through all senses. So, you know, touching things and I love to travel and and try new food and spices. I actually went and got my BA in psychology, but my minor was studio art. So I actually spent um, many, many years just painting and playing with charcoal and gessos and all kinds of colors. And I actually, when I was around 23, I was going through a really life-changing moment where Basically, everything in my personal life was falling apart, including my mom got really sick. So, you know, it affected me in in such a visceral way. While I had the opportunity, I went to a Reiki healing circle. And when I was 23, I had this transformative experience with energy healing and I start, started to study Reiki and I became a practitioner. Over three years, while I had a corporate job in the brand experience design agency, I I studied Reiki and became a Reiki master over three years. And alongside that learning how to practice Reiki and energy healing, I also learned crystal healing and I learned aromatherapy and got certified as an aromatherapist. And that's actually how I got into the world of fragrance. So I guess I started collecting oils and learning about raw materials and in, you know, in my early 20s and con- and continues to just 
fall in love with fragrance and I created many of my own blends, but never really used them outside of my practice. But then I started to learn about also modern perfumery, which means we are working with more synthetic and lab-made materials. And I've learned about how fragrances are distilled and how different products come together. So, and then the the world of flavors, which is actually very closely tied to the world of fragrance, started to really come alive for me as well. So I just kind of fell in the rabbit hole. So I know you own your shop, Parfumery, and my understanding it's half concept shop, but also a consultancy that helps, you know, small brands get off the ground. Can you tell me more about it? You know, I think it is so unique in the beauty industry and I just, I would love to hear more about it. Yeah, Perfumer is actually designed um, as a space to celebrate the human experience and all things around fragrance and flavor. And in my opinion, that's what makes us human. And it's really about how to cultivate our own relationship with things like fragrance and flavor, develop vocabularies, but also celebrate and support entrepreneurs and artisans that are looking to really express themselves and offer offering an ability for them to gather data to start with retail within their control and and kind of refine their products and and present their proof of concepts, if you will, um, in a safe environment with us behind the scenes as technical support and a full incubator and agency. So one thing people so often talk about with fragrance is how it's the closest sense that is tied to memory. And I think that's why scent is just so important to so many people, but I've actually never looked into the science behind it. You know, is this even true? And if so, how, how does, how does that work? Yeah. So absolutely smell is directly tied to memory and emotions, right? So if we want to talk about the science, we as humans, we have between 10 to 20 million olfactory receptors. And bloodhounds have 200 million receptors. So you can see how why humans are poor smellers. But, but basically, even with 10 to 20 million receptors, we have a lot of receptors to, to smell. So odors are volatile molecules. So we're working with invisible things, not something that is necessarily, you know, obviously you can't see it. And they're very powerful. They've flown in the air. And when we breathe, the air enters the nostrils and is swept upwards into nasal passages where the older molecules settle on the mucous membranes called olfactory epithelia. And then they have basically the cilia and the nerve cells that activate and travels right up to your brain. And the part of the brain that it actually touches right away is the basically the primary olfactory um, cortex, right? And that is connected to the limbic system. So it affects your emotions immediately. Okay, quickly gonna jump in here to explain the limbic system, just to provide context for what's to come. This system is a part of the brain comprised of the inner sections of the temporal lobes as well as the bottom of the frontal lobe. It supports and controls emotions, behaviors, and it's actually where long-term memories are stored. It's even sometimes called the emotional nervous system. So the way I explain it to, to people is, in a way, your brain is like the computer, and most of the time when we're going through as human beings, you know, using all our senses, most of like when you see something, when you're thinking, everything is processed through this logic board. But the sense of smell 
is processed differently. You actually experience the sense of smell, triggers and emotions and the memories before you're able to actually process the actual experience. So, so there is no processing. The processing actually happens after the fact, right? When then your brain lights up and a lot of how you experience it or how you then translate what you're experiencing um, and being able to put that into words is actually tied to your cultural experiences. So, you know, a smell like maybe a candy may smell like a cough drop to someone who's raised in a different culture. And lavender is a very different smell to someone from like, say, South America or France versus the United States, where some of them are related to bathroom cleaning products versus how we would say in aromatherapy, it's a calming sense that you would use so you can relax in a spa. So, you know, we have lots of cultural associations in how we process the sense of smell, but before it's actually absorbed and, you know, translated, you already have the instant ride kind of like the train that you can't get off if for some reason you are walking down the street and a familiar sense comes to you and it triggers an emotion because all of a sudden you're like, this smells familiar. It's making me really sad. And then you think through and and almost no matter what you're doing, in the middle, you can be in the middle of a conversation, but you can't seem to get off this train, you cannot continue the conversation because your entire brain process gets suddenly interrupted because a memory or some kind of emotion's been triggered. And then after thinking it through, you said, oh, well, this is um, reminding me of my ex or something like my grandfather. And we've, we've had lots of experiences with customers that are doing blind smelling with us at the studio in the retail lab, and they would immediately start crying or start sharing very vivid stories about the past with a complete stranger and everyone becomes fast friends or a support group. That's so fascinating and actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it. So, you know, whenever I hear that factoid, that smell is tied to memory, I never fully understood it because my understanding was that, you know, I would smell something and I, and I knew I recognized it, but I couldn't always connect the dots in the moment. And you know, it's because my brain was actually processing that that memory, that smell faster than I could even conceptualize it. Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful thing. And until about 10 years ago, there has been very, very little scientific work done around aromatherapy and how the smell affects us, you know, psychologically and or physically. I am really fortunate. I actually work with many amazing scientists. On we're actually launching International Taste and Smell Day for September, and I'm working with scientists from around the world as a part of the GCCR. And we and the Monal Institute. They basically are scientists that are working on on nosmia and the biology around the the sense of smell and olfaction. So lots of new studies have been teaching us things. And one of one of the new newest and most interesting discoveries is that there's absolutely a feel of smell and how we interpret smell is very cultural and it's actually birthed from experience and it is learned. So unfortunately in America, we have fewer words that describe smell. And there are also no schools and no formal, normally, like no normal go to places where you can actually um, learn 
how to describe what you smell, especially when it gets complex, right? We can always say, oh, this is a fruity nose or it feels like a floral, but what what kind of flower is it? And and until you smell all the little ingredients by themselves, like the parts and then kind of train your brain, kind of like having that alphabet to work with, right? You don't really have a proper language of smell. And I think that's the biggest challenge for anyone that wants to really get into this space. So why are we drawn to scent? Obviously, there's the memory connection, but you know, it's more than that. We use fragrance and smell in so many other ways. Well, I think fragrance is the most primal, the olfaction is the most primal sense, right? So if we think about it from a scientific point of view, even when, even when we are a little stinky, meaning our own body odors or whatever, we, we, we can't actually distinguish or, or discern our own stink because scientifically, back to, you know, just being prime, primal beings, right? Your smell is a safe space. So for when we're create, um, when we're trying new fragrances, we don't recommend that any of our guests use coffee beans to kind of refresh their palates because the coffee bean actually has hundreds of aromas in itself and it actually doesn't reset your palate. So we always say drink water and we'll just actually smell your own skin because that's the perfect way to reset your own olfaction. Your skin is actually your brain's baseline for neutral. Same with if you live with someone like your significant other, if he or she or whomever is a little stinky because they didn't use a deodorant and you were running outside all day, you're not going to be able to distinguish that person's stink because that's safe. Though when someone walks by that you don't know and there's like a new perfume or there's like a foreign sense that's infringing upon your space, that's when as primal being, we can detect that oh, something, you know, there's an intruder in our space. And so part of that is safety. So this is actually a challenge for people that are experiencing anosmia permanently or due to COVID because they actually have a, a challenge. There's there's no way for them to actually sense danger or spatial, having that spatial distinction. Now, the next level when it comes to fashion and accessory and creativity and things that like really enhance who we are as beings you know, there's relevance, there's a whole familiar sense of, say, certain smells are more comforting. So so some of the most popular fragrances for especially home scents and what we use in scent marketing, I think also confirms this, is like people love the smell of fresh, freshly baked cookies or bread, right? The bakery scent. Anything also gourmands is trending right now because you have things like vanilla notes and things that are a little bit like foodie related. And a lot of people say that vanilla is an aphrodisiac. Well, these are actually scents that are just very innately, in the primal level, innately offers comfort for the soul. And when we're a little scared, when we feel like we're craving things and we're, we're not able to socialize when we're missing warmth, we want things that have this creamy and comforting sense. And then somehow it actually lowers your breath. Uh, blood pressure and actually makes you feel a little happier and less inhibited. You can kind of like reduce the inhibition. Chill out. Yes, it is true that scents have a lot of effects on our body, at least temporarily. So for example, recent studies show that lavender can decrease blood pressure and heart rate for about 10 minutes. Another found that food-based aromas, you know, be it vanilla or citrus, 
lowered heart rate, improved energy levels, and improved focus. You're, you're more comfortable to be more of you more, you know, than, and, and to express then you're in a better place. You hear the concept of a signature scent so much in beauty. And, you know, I think it's interesting that we're drawn to this idea that we might have our own unique scent. Can you tell me more about that? Why are we always looking to find one? So signature scents, you know, I am a big advocate of actually layering fragrance and creating your own fragrances. And at Perfumery, we actually have this blending session where people can come in and create their own fragrances with an expert and material palette that is all safe and blendable. So people do that. And it's actually one of our best, most popular offerings right now, especially through this COVID time, because there are private appointments where people can come and go home with something that they need for themselves that feels exactly like them. And we have people that actually travel from different countries just do this with me. And I think the reason is because, you know, we we all have different comfort zones regarding what kind of sense we want now. It's, you know, your favorite fragrance may not even be something that you liked three months ago or, or two years ago, because pre-COVID, we all have a very different state of mind and a different lifestyle. Okay, so signature scents and mood are related, you would say? So so it is mood related, well, especially the holistic people that, that are holistic minded like me would say, if you're craving something spicy, you know, go eat spicy food because your body knows what it needs. And this is actually very related to energy. So it's it's also related to chakras. So, I mean, I do this scent, I do this scent blending session usually with a lot of my holistic thinking. Mine's a little bit being like an intuitive at the same time. So if we, you know, we go through and we smell things together, but if one of my, if the blender, the, the person who is coming in for this experience to blend for him or herself tells me that, you know, neroli's and gingers and things like that are really, you know, they're feeling those fragrances when they're smelling it. Then I say, well, this is what you need because right now your second chakra is, is thirsty and you're looking for that energy. So, so in the commercial world, it's, the fragrance is the invisible cloak and it announces your presence before you arrive. So I think that's also why the older generation really subscribe to having a signature scent. I do see that the younger generation, millennials and Gen Zs, are more into having more fragrance options and being able to layer and create fragrances that are mood-oriented for the moment or that time of day. Interesting. Why do you think that is? I think it has a lot to do with access and access, you know, like the internet, essentially. Accessible access to materials and information, right? Products and information. So, and knowledge. The fragrance industry is designed to be traditionally very conservative and secretive. Yeah, fragrances are all tied up in trade secret laws, right? Yeah, and it's very technical and difficult to learn, especially when no one is out there trying to help you. And the to even build your own archive to start a practice, even as an aromatherapist, it's a very expensive endeavor because natural oils, essential oils, or just buying little things at a time really adds up fast. And all of a sudden you have tens of thousands of dollars on little bottles. And if you don't, if you're not doing this professionally, it's kind of, you know, it's a really expensive hobby and very few people do it. And it takes a lot of time and self 
teaching because again until now with the internet you don't really have the ability to to really create your destiny or know how to even start now i think the challenge well my challenge and what i see now is you have access you can order things online but how do you distinguish a good material versus you know something that is potentially toxic or you know not from a reputable source how do you know what you're buying and then we are in the world of fragrance we're working with chemistry and chemists go to school for you know decades just to even get any good you can't technically just put drop some drops of this and that because these chemicals are actually very toxic and in and dosage and application matters and everything has to be put into context and you can't just read something and assume that it's right and that's that's kind of the challenge you know you can go on youtube and watch someone that we don't really know who you, know, you can watch a, an influencer make a, his own perfume but you know, this person is not trained as a perfumer and he ordered a bunch of things online and all of a sudden you have 500 new self-taught perfumers that are doing the wrong thing and they're they're available on the internet through Etsy or whatever and people buy them and then and new problems are born. <laughs> yeah, I see this problem a lot in social media, especially with beauty influencers and, you know, skincare influencers. So many of them are, you know, putting out advice in an earnest way and they're trying their best to give good advice. But at the same time, they're not dermatologists or estheticians. You know, they didn't go to school to learn the very complex nature of skin and skin care. So, you know, we have to be critical of who are we getting advice from? You know, who are we listening to? Are they the right people? Definitely. You know, I think lots of the base level skills can be learned by reading books and watching videos. There are safe ways to start. But I think, you know, that's also why I started perfumery. I think there's a lot of science behind what we do every day. And then behind the scenes, you have governing bodies, you know, EFRA and the FDA and the EPA. You have regulatory requirements for you to legally be able to sell or wholesale products to other people and get insurance coverage. Because if you have a product and you don't have product liability insurance coverage in the United States, you are really exposed. And, you know, I think it's a really good time for people to learn and become more informed about what they consume. I think the millennials and Gen Zs are amazing, amazing generations and very lucky because, you know, the younger generation gets to really try and, and start without so many barriers of entry. And there are people like me that are so excited to help if you can find us, <laughs> but we're happy to help because we want the world to have better products and not just more toxic things. Okay, so walk me through making a scent. You're someone who knows the ins and outs of doing so. Where do you start? What do you consider? What goes into making a final product? The process is different for um, everyone because it's entirely dependent on the budget and the goal, right? So how we would approach a natural products is completely different than if we want to create something that goes into a, the commercial world and be distributed in, you know, retailers like 
Sephora or even Bergdorf. So the budget is really important. Why the founder wants to create a fragrance is really important. Is it for, is it a function? Is it for, you know, is it a luxury item? Is it a limited edition? Is it art? Or is it something that they want to like retire on or sell to a new company like a lotter? You know, so the goal is really important. And then around the products, I think most makers run into issues around cost of goods, especially in the beginning. And because the technical execution is difficult, they have this, they, they actually spend too much money on designing the website and thinking about the bottle. And they're usually looking for custom bottles that require a really high minimum. And they don't understand that every component comes from a different factory. And the coming together really adds up, especially if there's a high minimum. So there are hacks that take lots of experience to kind of, you know, at kind of the planning phase, I guess, the business plan phase is really important. So having one person that understands all the components, put it together, and then being able to be flexible so that for a small batch project, for instance, you know, so that you're not looking to buy a custom bottle from Asia that has a 10,000 10, bottle minimum, you know, that requires seven months to, to make and then ship and arrive <laughs> to whatever the, you know, the maker's studio is. And then understanding the actual juice. So FYI, throughout this episode, you are going to hear Mindy say juice. Juice is simply an insidery term for the actual fragrance. You know, the liquid inside the bottle that smells nice. The ingredients matter. The quality of the ingredients matter. Most fragrance houses won't just work with any clients because, you know, fragrance houses are manufacturers. And also someone can't just buy things off the internet, make a perfume and expect a fragrance house to just be able to like manufacture and recreate it because yeah because fragrance houses have proprietary formulas and when we are working especially with naturals it's very much like the food world or the wine and spirit world your harvest from year to year is very very different the cost is different the quality is different the olfactive materials that gets yielded from batch to batch lot to lot is different and then you have you know because we're dealing with molecules that are volatile you have degrading materials so you know with oxidation and time top nodes will start to fall apart really fast so you have you know you have to really think about what is the purpose? What is the reason for being for this skew? What is the purpose for this product and how what that distribution strategy looks like? And how much is all the components cost? And what is the goal for this product in distribution? Right? And and the business plan needs to really come together before someone can really even ask someone like me to help with the project. Okay, so that's the business end of it. But what about the fragrance itself? Uh, you know, what goes into making that? You so often hear about top notes, middle notes, bottom notes. What are those and what do they have to do with fragrance? This is a really 
a tricky thing because when you see top notes, heart notes, base notes, that's basically a marketing tool for the industry to communicate with the customer and manage expectations. No different than if you buy a food products, you know, the, the ketchup company is not going to tell you exactly what's really in every, you know, in the secret recipe from one brand to another. So in a fragrance formula, you have lots and lots of things that you don't see behind the scenes. And the lab is actually working with molecules. So these names are not what you would normally be able to pronounce. Even, you know, even essential oils have technical names that are not, you know, even lavender is not called lavender in the technical sense. And these are all molecules and interactions happen where the lab actually would standardize and say, this is sandalwood. But sandalwood is, you know, a buttery, leathery wood that could be derived from a few different kinds of combinations of lab materials that are definitely not sandalwood. Let's let's use leather as an example. If leather is a part of your fragrance deck, does that mean that we distilled leather, meaning hide, animal hide, to get the note of leather? No, because that's not possible. It's not ethical and it's actually cruel. And nobody really actually do any of these. You know, most products are cruelty free. It's by required. It's required for most countries around the world nowadays. So cruelty free, even though it's a big claim, it's really not a thing. We, we don't, you know, we, we definitely don't kill any animals to distill leather, right? So leather is composed as an accord. And often we're working with leaves and woods and tobaccos and olfactive compounds that gives you the sense of the kind of leather that you want. Is it suede because it's more, it feels more textured versus something that's more buttery? Is it something that needs to feel a little like deeper and woody because it's meant to be a rugged leather expression? So you know, in which case maybe I'm using tobacco with labdanum or something and, and then some other, you know, more volatile molecules to give it the feel of a lift, right? So we're creating artistically molecular constructions that's invisible to the people, but to express it for marketing or pre presenting it to a consumer, we have to put it in a way that's relatable. So the top notes, heart notes, base notes offers that guideline, no different than in the wine and spirits business, we'll have aroma wheels, right? So, and we put them, we put fragrances in classifications to help you navigate through florals and woods and orientals. But nowadays, with so many new niche fragrances that are truly artistic, you have many, many mashup genres. So, so I think, you know, we're breaking rules through, especially through the last three to five years, you know, there are lots of really fun innovations that's being offered. But consumers, because of the lack of knowledge and olfactive language and the ability for them to navigate how to choose the pyramid as a tool. Okay, so it's a tool, but if you're a consumer, how do you use this tool? So the way to read it is top notes are usually the more most volatile molecules and your first impression. They're the smallest molecules that kind of comes up to your nose first. So if it's, you know, if you're drinking a cocktail, it's the garnish, the zest of like orange or lemon on top. Closest to your nose, really bright, happy, sparkling, first attraction, 
and kind of disappears on you within five to 10 minutes because they're so volatile. Now, there's going to be residuals from these aromas and then the heart notes is really meant to be the soul of the fragrance, the essence of the fragrance, which is if it's a solely floor, meaning a singular note expression, if it's a rose, then you're basically aiming the rose, but the top notes could be bergamot or grapefruit because it's extra citrus and bright and fresh, right? And then the base notes is usually composed of resins and things like vanilla. Things are just larger molecules that are meant to use as natural fixatives or fixatives or uh, stabilizers, if you will, holds the construction together and often rounds it out. Often your top notes are also the special effects. So you have aldehydes and things that really adds dimension to the composition as a whole. So if we think about fragrance as music, using music as a parallel, when you have the entire fragrance composed together, you have a song composed of all different notes. So in in the music analogy, when you have a top notes, heart notes, and bass notes composed of only natural materials, unless the perfumer or the chemist or the composer is a genius, it's very likely that the composition is going to go a little flat on you because, you know, in, if you are, if you ever play with natural fragrances, like in the aromatherapy sense, the fragrances will really kind of lay neatly together in a predictable way. And, and they blend well because there are certain notes that just blend well. And so it's predictable, but it's very almost like linear. So if we're thinking about it as music, it's kind of like a concerto. But if you fold in some synthetic notes or more top notes or things that adds the special effects. You're gonna hear us talk about the idea of safe synthetics. And I just wanna jump in here and explain exactly what we mean by that. So safe synthetics in fragrance are ingredients that do not contain phthalates, parabens, and other known endocrine disruptors as well as limiting the use of common allergens, sensitizing ingredients, environmental toxins, and so on. In my opinion, some of these synthetic notes, like the aldehydes, serve as special effects. Then you'll have kind of amplifiers. You have opportunities to give it more like an acoustic, if you know, so it's more of an orchestra in a concert hall. Or if you were a DJ, then you get to like layer in all these like, you know, tracks. And then it becomes a more dynamic and fun and that's why in modern perfumery we do work with both natural and synthetics and I I have since since my 20s I have fallen in love with working with both my style I love to start the naturals and use safe of course safe but interesting synthetics to add and you know add the special effects to round out the formula and or enhance the feel of something usually as a special effects, often in the top note. Okay, let's get into natural versus synthetic. What's the difference between them? How do you define them? Sure. So it's unfortunately not as straightforward and there are lots of companies that are just basically greenwashing nowadays, which is kind of not helping. So the first thing is you can have synthetics that are natural. So synthetics simply means that they are made in the lab, but you can, you can recreate 
something using like GC, a formula basically that it's completely natural. So using all the beautiful technologies that we have available nowadays, a machine can actually extract using the Headspace technology. So Headspace technology is so cool. I find it fascinating. I feel like you guys might too. It is a relatively recent advancement in fragrance and when it was first introduced, it totally revolutionized the fragrance industry. Essentially, it is a tool that acts as a fragrance camera. It captures the exact scent of something in an exact moment, then helps the perfumers deconstruct and reconstruct it. They were even able to find a 150-year-old scent on a shipwreck and recreate it extract the molecular components and re-engineer, reconstruct, say, a scent, the smell of a rose without using a rose altogether. But this rose is not completely synthetic either because this synthetic rose may be made of other things that are all natural. Because we're just working, we're not actually working with fruits and herbs here. We're working with, in the synthetic rose, anyway, we're working with the olfactive quality, the olfactive molecules from fruits, herbs, and sometimes it's composed of other things. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is not all synthetics are not natural. You can have naturally derived synthetics. Number two, clean is really, really fuzzy and not clearly defined nowadays. And, and it's a really scary topic because you do have agencies that means well, that, you know, offers a list of do not use components, you know, cancer-causing ingredients to avoid. But the challenge with that is these lists are never put in context and the studies are not always peer-reviewed. So, and then many of these agencies are actually backed by lobbyists. And so it's, it's the same as the food industry, right? One minute, you know, it's everyone loves coconut oil and it's the miracle oil. And the next minute it's like coconut, uh, coconut oil is toxic. And we're like, what happened? Same with milk, same with cheese. You know, we, we go through phases because there are actually other motivators behind the scenes that I'm not going to get into as a whole different conversation, but companies getting on the bandwagon, I do like the fact that we do have access to information. We have access to the source. So, and, and especially with COVID, I think we, we are all becoming a lot more regional and um, sustainably minded, right? We're aware of the climate change. We are awakened to know that what we put on our skin matters and we we are voting with our money and we have the power to choose. We're not followers of just a celebrity face anymore. We are really trying to understand what is in the bottle. And I completely support that. Now, going back to the natural essential oil story, the reason that not all naturals are safe is because we're dealing with this big misconception that all herbs are safe because they're natural. But we need to remember that essential oil in a bottle is 50 to 100 times more concentrated than what is in the plant. So the safety issue applies to essential oils that do not apply to the whole plant or herbal extract, right? So it is dangerous to consume a concentrated bottle of oil, even 
a basic, ex, you know, if you drink a bottle of rose oil, you will probably die. You will definitely be in the hospital. And even though you can have rose water. So in the cosmetics formula, for instance, if I'm going to put something in the oil, put an essential oil in, say, a facial products, we're talking about a maximum dosage just 0. 0.0, you know, 2, like 0. 0.02. Actually, often it's even less than that, but there's a tolerance of basically 1% or under is usually my safe, safe spot, depending on, again, it depends on the kind of essential oil. Some of them have a higher toxicity than other. So, and then let's go back to the world of synthetics for a second. Synthetics are actually sometimes much safer for the consumer because, right, because they are engineered and they are standardized and you don't have variations of, say, you know, the naturals, if you have patchouli oil from one farm, one region of the world, and then all of a sudden you're getting, because the climate change or the supplier chain got disrupted or the farm got bought up or went out of business and you have to buy another supplier patchouli oil, it may smell different, number one. And also you may actually be allergic to it because of the terroir. Wait, what's that? So terroir it's it's basically like like wine you know the land where those where it's harvested from matters and you have to think about the variations of regional climate and and how they process the materials because some distilleries will work with copper silt and some have a complete different process in how they get their extraction and you may be safe with one brand, but not so much with another. Or the same brand swap their supplier on you and you don't know. Okay, so you need to be mindful of not just the ingredient itself, but all the factors that go into growing, harvesting, and extracting it, right? Exactly. We also have to be mindful of how our own chemistry changes as we age. So often the brand gets the blame or the supplier gets the blame, but you know, I have different reactions to certain materials as I have aged over the years. So part of it is just being a lot more informed and always do a skin test. Of course. You know, sometimes I smell the stuff I wore when I was younger and immediately my eyes start watering or even I'll break out. So, okay, I want to move into sustainability. This, this is a hot topic, obviously, what is the state of the union on fragrance and sustainability right now? There are actually really great initiatives in place. All the major houses that, you know, we work with from your dividends, IFFs to, you know, smaller farms are now becoming a lot more aware of climate change. The large fragrance houses are actually actively buying land and practicing sustainable farming and fair trade practices, crop rotation, and trying to really maximize what they can get from the land and, you know, infusing new innovations and technologies into how they work. And also very actively engineering and creating new captives formulas that are inspired by natural ingredients as they become extinct and or more expensive due to climate change or they have to you know frankincense for instance you know takes so many years to even be able to like get a new harvest so in between when you have other 
synthetic ways to create a frankincense accord from things that are a little bit more accessible, if they are able to synthetically engineer the formulas, they would offer that as a captive and say, use this in place of blah, blah, blah. And it actually offers a lot more practical, like a, a more practical palette for a designer and creator like me. And then I also love the movement of how brands are revisiting how they package their products. I think fragrance have been traditionally just over packaged and I'm I'm I love beautiful custom fancy perfume bottles because packaging and glass is literally an art too you know the challenge now is the all the boxes and all the plastic can we use more sustainable materials and be more creative at perfumery because we are really committed to things like that we always have fragrance on tap and we also offer fragrances that are just by the milliliter so they can bring people can bring their own bottles they can also buy our basically we call them rechargeable bottles so basically screw top bottles and and refill them so i love the zero waste movement i wish that more companies will go into it i do see this big trend of large houses like Chanel and also and Guerlain also offering the dramming options so consumers can try things and refill them and take them in travel atomizers without spending so much money on the bottle. And it's just much kinder to the environment, isn't it? Okay, so I too love beautiful bottles. I have a collection of so many that I just love. Actually, from most of my skincare, hair care, body care, or whatever, I don't care as much about the bottles. I'm I'm happy with whatever is the most sustainable option, right? But for some reason, I just love a pretty fragrance bottle. I think there I think there's there are going to be both will coexist and there's going to be a way to really celebrate a little bit more of this low carbon footprints and zero waste formula by I mean, for me, the answer is if you're an artisan brand, if you have fragrances that you're testing and or of the materials not to be replicated, like a limited edition offering or a really expensive formula, why not make that available in, in a dramming format or something that can be refilled? Offer a beautiful vessel like a travel atomizer that you that someone would want to carry around and keep and refill and then make the refill component cheaper because you know we all have moments where we have a beautiful bottle of perfume that is you know at our home and you're you're almost done with it and then you wonder if you wanted to spend another three to five hundred dollars to buy a new bottle and what to do with it the thought of throwing away a beautiful bottle always breaks my heart a little. And I'm not really a hoarder, so so it's kind of really, really a difficult, you know, thing to reconcile. And why don't we create beautiful, intentionally designed bottles for for the consumer and then offer them refills and for companies that are making beautiful juice but cannot afford a custom bottle? You know, this is a good solution as well because start with offering beautiful juice and then work on something really magical as a custom bottle that someone gets to use and keep as an accessory. And then I feel like we can then offer both. The larger companies are going to want to continue to offer interesting bottles with, you know, 
predictably popular commercial success, commercially successful Jews in environments like department stores because the volume will dictate that they continue to to offer prepackaged, you know, crimped bottles in the traditional way that we already know. But I think where we have this opportunity to to become a lot more thoughtful. And the industry is starting to respond, and I'm really happy to see this change. What are you seeing right now? What inspires you? What are you working on? What is the future of fragrance? Yeah, I'm actually really, I'm working on a lot of projects behind the scenes in the product development sense. I've been really drawn to materials, botanicals that have healing properties that also smell nice. I feel like it's I'm not working on it for anyone else other than myself now, but like, you know, personally I'm drawn to it because again, my background in aromatherapy and Reiki and from all my travels, I'm really miss, missing my, my nomadic life, you know, getting on the plane and go to Thailand and go to Mexico and, and walking with botanists and learning about rituals and playing with Kerpao and how to like harvest this for mezcal like you know working with botanical and plants and things that inspire me that actually have medicinal and healing properties so functional fragrances that do not smell like medicine and you know using that in an innovative way so I'm exploring that realm I believe that because we are becoming a lot more informed and we do have the information in a more accessible way to us and most people understands that you know, lavender is good for sleep and things like that. The consumers are becoming a lot more awakened. There's this is the perfect time for us to revisit and kind of go back to basic, revisit botanical properties and timeless solutions to basically everyday problems, right? Things are a little bit gen- more gentle on the soul as well. I'm not anti Western medicine and in fact, I'm really pro-science, but at the same time, I'm also pro-spirit. So how do we bridge both and kind of, you know, marry the art and the science and create products that's a little bit more innovative and relevant and functional for everyday lives? Mindy, thank you so much for coming. And this has been one of my favorite conversations. And not just because I personally love fragrance, but because you know, you were just so interesting and have such a unique and smart perspective in this space. So, you know, thank you so much for teaching us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time. Hey guys, just popping back in here to say thanks for joining us this week at Clean Beauty School. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you're looking for more beauty content or just wellness content in general, don't forget to check out our website, mindbodygreen.com, our Instagram, Mind Body Green, and of course, our parent podcast, the Mind Body Green Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks again. See you next week.